Blog Talk Radio. Quiet, please. Welcome to Rex Sykes Movie Beat, conversations with filmmakers where we discuss everything film and television. Here on Movie Beat, you'll learn what to do and what not to do when it comes to making movies and TV. We will talk to everyone behind the scenes and in front of the camera, and I'll provide you with guests and information you're going to want to have, whether you're a filmmaker or a fan. And so now, let's move behind the scenes here on Movie Beat. First, I want to thank all of my listeners for tuning in and for spreading the word about Movie Beat to your friends and your industry connections, whether you use Facebook, Twitter, MySpace, or whatever your favorite method is. I thank you for spreading the word about Rex Sykes, Movie Beat, and all these excellent conversations we have with filmmakers, as well as the blogs and the articles, the cast and crew news, and uh, all the upcoming events. Uh, the official website is www.rexsykes.com, that's R-E-X-S-I-K-E-S.com, and you can subscribe to Movie Beat right there on the welcome page by clicking on the RSS feed button on the welcome page, and you'll always be updated to Movie Beat changes on the website, whether that's a new interview that's been added or new cast and crew information, uh, so be sure to subscribe. Um, if you're listening to this as an archived show, uh, Keep in mind that you can uh, share this with your friends and uh, and with everyone else. Movie Beat is really designed to be a resource for you, and that's why I connect you up with professionals who are making it happen. Now, before we before we get our guest on. Uh, I apologize for that. We had a technical uh, malfunction going on here. But before we bring our guest on, uh, I have a few things to tell you. Uh, Firestarter Films had a successful number five event. It was absolutely fabulous. Uh, coming up in uh, the end of September is the Milwaukee Show or Milwaukee Film Festival. That's the end of September, beginning of October. In Madison, Wisconsin, on the third and fourth of, of October is the Madison Horror Festival. Madison Horror is proud to announce that. Uh, they're going to have uh, numerous guests this year. And the two-day horror uh, festival in Milwaukee, uh, October 10th and 12th, is ZombieCon, and that promises to be a big event. In Detroit on September 12th, Bonnie Garvin, a recent guest on Movie Beat, is having her From Idea to Script workshop in the Detroit area. The Colorado Film Incentive Seminar is on September 17th in Colorado. Uh, the Toronto International Film Fest is September 10th through 19th. So be sure to uh, check into all of these events. And recent guest, Kevin Sorbo, has a a movie debuting on the Sci-Fi Channel, I believe, September 12th, uh, Lightning Strikes. So be sure to check listings uh, for Kevin's upcoming movie. I'm pleased that our guest today is uh, Mr. Donald R. Schmidt. He's the author and uh, investigator of Roswell. New Mexico, where back in 1947, it is said that a UFO had crashed into 
the desert there. Now, Donald is the former co-director of the J. Allen Hynek Center for UFO Studies, where he served as director of special investigations for 10 years. And prior to that, he was special investigator for the late Dr. Allen, J. Allen Hynek and uh, the art director for the International UFO Reporter. He's uh, co-authored six books, three are bestsellers, The UFO Crash at Roswell, The Truth About UFO Crash at Roswell, Witness to Roswell, and the revised edition uh, is recently out to uh, Witness at Roswell. Three bestsellers plus The Roswell Dig Diary and Roswell Chronological Pictorial. So uh, I know you're going to want to check into those books. Presently, he's uh, researching the biography of Chester uh, Little, the inventor of the first atomic bomb detonator. He's been interviewed frequently on TV, radio, and in print, including Oprah, Paul Harvey, CBS 48 Hours, Disney Channel, Sci-Fi. A whole host of people have gotten to speak with uh, Mr. Schmidt, and I'm so glad that we get to do that right here today on Movie Beat. Now, the basis of his research and consultation has been the theme of many documentaries, including UFO Secret, The Roswell Crash, The Roswell Incident, Roswell The Real Story, Roswell Cover-Ups and Close Encounters, and UFO 50 Years of Denial. He's consulted on, these docu on many of these documentaries. He also wrote and narrated the audio CD UFO Crash at Roswell, an audio documentary, and he produced and co-starred with actor John DeLancey in the live theatrical radio drama Roswell, the Unheard Broadcast. Uh, that was Prosaic Pictures in 2000. Now, there's more good news coming up, but I want to get Don on the air and say hello to you, Don. Good morning. Yes, good morning, Rex. Pleasure to be with you. It is a pleasure to be with you. So, Don, let's just talk a little bit about, um, well, let's go back to before 1947 and the depiction of Hollywood aliens um, from space and what impressions the industry might have taken uh, since uh, Roswell. Well, I think it's a bit of a misnomer in suggesting that, uh, that Hollywood actually, you know, originates or creates anything out of thin air. Hollywood tends to copy what happens to be in the, uh, the media norm at the time, uh, whatever becomes popular within the public genre, and uh, such was no less the case regarding the uh, the phenomenon of UFOs, specifically flying saucers. And any of your listeners could uh, certainly research and go back prior to that huge wave of UFO sightings, which we refer to as the modern age of ufology, where they actually seem to arrive in mass, whatever responsible, you know, behind the phenomena itself, something was within our airspace at that time. And prior to that time, the typical Hollywood depiction was based strictly on what, you know, we, again, had experienced during World War II, and that was rockets, the German V-2 rockets specifically. And they're falling during the, the Great War as far as the war on Britain through the 1940s. So you had the classical characters of Buck Rogers and Flash Gordon. And the common depiction of a spaceship was nonetheless, nonetheless than a, a rocket ship. So Hollywood, again, was, was merely reflecting as far as what people could actually recognize, what they were, were familiar with. And it wasn't until that wave of 47 where people were not describing rockets, where they weren't describing airplanes, anything else conventional, 
They were describing flying disks. In fact, the very term flying saucer would even originate based on a sighting specifically that happened over Yakima, Washington on June 24th. There was a search and rescue pilot by the name of Kenneth Arnold who saw not what he described as flying saucers, but that they maneuvered. They skipped across the air, as he described it, nine objects, like saucers skipping across the water. And there was a reporter by the name of Bill Bichette from the Oregorian newspaper who then actually coined the phrase flying saucer. So from then on, Hollywood for every, you know, UFO picture, for every invasion from outer space, what have you, the, the, the then spaceship became the flying saucers. Earth versus the flying saucer, invasion of the saucer men. Uh, even the, the, the most uh, classic of all sci-fi UFO pictures, the, the day the Earth stood still, was the flying saucer landing in Washington, D.C., in 1950. So, again, Hollywood reflecting something, again, that the people could relate to, something that they could insert themselves into the scenario and not providing or not creating something so uncommon, so unusual, that it became more esoteric, more surreal, more dreamlike in its presentation. They were drawing people in. They were getting people to actually try to anticipate. And I would like to believe that there has been a slow conditioning after all these years as to the possibility that we may be visited. We may not be alone. And that is absolutely fascinating. Um, I'll just ask you... Um, since that time, I mean, if we if we uh, look at the best UFO or ET movies since, you know, have any of the movies, including TV, gotten close to what you are working on and what you're trying to discover? Well, Close Encounters of the Third Kind, which uh, the actual title came from my late scientific director's book, The UFO Experience, the late Dr. J. Allen Hynek. And Heineck came to this field, came to this subject as a skeptic. In fact, he was the first official Air Force debunker, so to speak. He, he served as a scientific consultant on the Air Force Project Blue Book for 19 years. And he made a full 180. It's one of the reasons I respected him, and he became such a close friend and ally. And I had the great honor of uh, having him as a teacher, as a mentor, and I served as one of his special investigators for the last seven years of his life. And he worked with Spielberg and consulted on that picture. And much of the dramatization in Close Encounters was actually based on eyewitness accounts, on files from the organization that the, uh, which I served on as Director of Special Investigations, the Center for UFO Studies, which was founded by, by Heineck. Uh, the electromagnetic effects, the the sunburn as far as uh, from exposed skin to a UFO encounter, um, the depiction of how the the humanoids, the spacemen, the uh, 
the beings from the mothership, so to speak. Even the uh, missing time elements, the whole nature of uh, people being abducted and being taken away and how all these people were brought back at the end after the landing of the mothership. And they're not having any awareness of any loss of time or, or duration of time suggesting that um, they were flying at the speed of light, so to speak, where time would stay still or even go backwards. So, again, it was a serious attempt at bringing the phenomenon to a climax, the idea that there's been this progression throughout history since that first wave of 1947, suggesting ultimate contact and ultimate uh, landing, like the proverbial landing on the White House front lawn, take us to your leader type of encounter. And so close encounters would would draw all of this in from the beginning and then bring it to as far as that landing at Devil's Tower. Now, what was interesting, though, is Heineck, who did a small cameo in the picture and uh, consulted on the movie as well, and the title, as I described, taken from his book, never considered it his favorite UFO movie. And he agreed with me. Uh, and even until he died, our, and my favorite still remains The Day the Earth Stood Still. And um, Go ahead. The original. The original. Uh, I should have clarified because uh, I think out of, certainly out of respect uh, to my my friend, the late director, Robert Wise, and I found it curious that they would wait till after he was gone because um, I found very little redeeming <laughs> as far as entertainment in the sequel or the, the remake, I should say. And uh, it bore little resemblance to Robert Wise's original vision of uh, what such an encounter would portray, that this, we'd have this ominous warning from outer space that we basically better knock it off. We better become a peace-loving race of people and cease our atomic proliferation and the fact that for the first time we became a threat off the planet as strongly dramatized in that movie and I just even in hearing originally of the remake and the fact that it would have an environmental theme I kept thinking to those you know those threatening words those ominous words of Klaatub uh, portrayed by the actor Michael Rennie in the original movie when he suggested when he he uh, was asked by the professor who uh, was uh, actually creating an, almost an Albert Einstein character in, in, the, in the form of a doctor, a professor Barnhart. And in his lab, when he has the conversation with Klaatu, and he warns the professor that if such actions on our part do not cease, would resume, would continue, that this planet Earth as we know it would have to be obliterated, as he put it. 
And the professor says, such power exists. And class two responds, I assure you, such power exists. And I just could never envision that, you know, such a threat would be warranted regarding just the fact that uh, environmentally, he, we earthlings here are destroying the planet, so to speak, and that that well, I mean, would serve as a threat off the planet. It just didn't jive. I didn't see how it would have that that forcefulness, that impact. And as it turned out, it didn't. It was a big flop. Well, I, I think you're, I'm sorry. Go ahead. No, no. But uh, the, the the movie, I, I've yet to hear anyone, you know, describe it in any shape, form, of uh, you know, glowing description. I'm going to make a, a statement, and I, I may eat parts of my statement in the future, but I often think that uh, filmmakers do themselves a, a disservice when they try to update movies, especially classic movies, and or you know uh, rewrite uh, certain elements of it to make it more timely. Uh, the environmental thing in, in, in the recent version certainly doesn't have the same impact nor the same concern uh, while we could destroy ourselves environmentally, while we, we could be in great harm, um, I think the message of being able to destroy ourselves as well as do destruction off the planet um, made more sense in the original version. And, of course and, it did. And, yes. and Hollywood often does that, and, and, and it's too bad, and it's often to its detriment, and, and perhaps someday they'll learn not to, but uh, until then. Hey, Don, let me take a, a moment. I, I want to thank you for your comments to, uh, so far, but let me take a moment and, and, and go back and revisit you for just a bit. You know, I, I mentioned that you're the author of six books and you've been involved in movie making and in producing the documentaries and consulting. But uh, but you've been seriously investigating Roswell for numerous years now. Could 20 you, years now, yes. 20 years. Could you just tell us uh, about that for a bit, too, about your involvement in, 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 in Roswell? And, well, of and, course, sure. And what, what it's like to do research and to author books in, the, in this way? Because I, Because... I mean, your research does not come without opposition. So, oh, not not at all, not at all. In fact, um, it's one of the reasons that um, it's been encouraging, to say the least, that we continue the effort because if nobody was paying any attention, and I I say that specifically regarding the United States government, we'd think we were going in the wrong direction. The fact that they are now up to four official explanations that the, the, the Pentagon itself has had three press conferences in these past 20 years responding to our efforts. The fact that presidents, including uh, Carter and Clinton, have both lamented the fact that they could not get answers regarding this very subject. Um, Congressman, the late Congressman Stephen Schiff was a champion of our cause, pushing for congressional hearings on Roswell through the uh, mid-1990s. The late Senator Barry Goldwater, former presidential candidate, also described to us uh, how it was the only time that the chair of the Joint Chiefs ever cussed him out, as he put it, just for bringing up the subject because he wanted to see the files. Governor Bill Richardson of New Mexico wrote the foreword to our Roswell Dig Diaries, and, and he too you know, expressed his concern that we have not been told the truth after all these years. So I'm in good company. I'm in the company of presidents and congressmen and high-ranking military officers and PhDs and doctors and lawyers and people who, upon examining the evidence, examining 
the public record, realize that we have not been told the truth about what actually crashed back in 1947. And I'd like to think, much to my credit, as Heineck, I was a skeptic as well. I went into this thinking we would make a single trip to New Mexico and the beginning of 1989 and wrap this up in a single weekend. And we were wrong. And specifically as we started to speak to first-hand witnesses who actually handled the wreckage, the very debris from this crash. And to a one, each and every individual describes this beyond any technological advancement or material that we even have to this day. And we're talking about memory material, we're talking about uh, nigh-indestructible material, yet it was paper-thin and weightless. Even fiber optics back in 1947, which would not be developed until around 1970. So materials either ahead of their time or still ahead of their time. And the official explanation remains that this was a weather balloon. And um, much to our satisfaction, the government cannot provide a single witness. The skeptics, I don't care what they say, cannot provide a single witness. All they can do is attack the messengers. All they can do, do is attack the investigators. And I can proudly say that I've always had tremendous support in the entertainment field. They have always expressed a, a genuine interest, I, I, I'm sure, to their better ends, because whether it would be in producing documentaries or even when we were originally consulted, even prior to the publication of our first book, UFO Crash at Roswell, there was a script in development. Um, there was keen interest on the Hollywood front, not only in optioning the rights to that book, but then in purchasing the rights. And then the development of the Showtime made-for-TV movie Roswell. So we've always had close allies, and it's been one of the reasons that we've always been able to go back whenever we've had new material fresh ideas, a new twist on where we could go and what direction we could take uh, the, the storyline. And so to this day, the interest um, has not declined, has not waned in any degree, to any degree. And it's one of the reasons that there, too, we're encouraged to bring this to fruition, to bring this to a final chapter. And that from never ever having any vision, any intent of ever writing a book or a documentary or certainly doing a motion picture. We were just doing our job. Uh, we were investigating, you know, the properties of a phenomenon that still eluded us, this, this phantom in the night that still remains a mystery now after over 60 years. And we're just paying a due diligence and and certainly remain in the position that anyone who just summarily dismisses it as being such silliness is guilty of journalistic malpractice. And uh, with just the possibility that we're dealing with one of the biggest stories of all time, I can't imagine anyone you know, turning away from this. I think it's one of the reasons that whenever 
the cable channels, whenever they have sweeps months, it's the number one topic. It's still, you'll, you'll, you'll watch and it's just a full week of nothing but UFO documentaries. Well, that's for a reason. Even, you know, financially, it's, uh, it's uh, ratings expedient. And uh, again, I'm in good company. I'm not knocking on doors and having, you know, having them slammed in my face because I work on uh, Roswell. That's an excellent point. Now, I've also read Witness to Roswell, and it is a fascinating read, and you do make a fascinating case for, uh, for what you have researched and, um, and what could have happened uh, in Roswell over 60 years ago. And, Thank you. And having, and, oh, absolutely. And having said that, you also, I mean, 60 years later, you're losing eyewitnesses left and right, but, but still, I mean, 60 years later, you, you are coming up with new finds and new evidence and new, you know, new research, which sometimes you dismiss and sometimes you accept, but that's, that, but that's the role of a, research, you know, of a non-biased researcher. So, um, I mean, all these years later and, and 20 years of your life have been dedicated to trying to unlock this mystery, and that absolutely is fascinating. Well, 20 and, uh, years and, ago, Colleagues and even my scientific director at that time, Dr. Mark Roniger, was telling me that um, you know we were tackling an almost um, impossible mission for that very reason. You know, even at that time it was 40 years old, and what are the chances a lot of the witnesses would still be with us? The the, the trail was long, cold, and where would we start? Well, here we are. 20 years later, we've now talked to over 600 people directly or indirectly involved. All the books, all the documentaries, the motion picture, uh, potentially another motion picture, and we remain unabated as far as uh, our time, our efforts in tracking down every surviving witness. Uh, no doubt the World War II generation, where the attrition rate, we're losing up to 1,800 people a day. And so obviously we're racing the undertaker in that regard. But all the more reason that, as I was asked by a CNN science reporter, why I've devoted, why I've spent all this time, all these years, you know, on, on this one case. And I just, you know, you know, very sternly looked back and stared him in the eye and I said, because you won't. And that is also the dilemma we face in that we have had a lot of people within the media who have said, well, when you come up with the smoking gun, when you come up with a piece of physical evidence, when you come up with a, a tissue sample from one of the cadavers, that type of thing, well, yeah, we're, we're, we're searching for our holy grail in that regard. But, again, I just can't imagine anyone who just accepts that's, that possibility that, what if it's true? Can all these people be lying after all this time? And then to just say, well, you know, come back to me when you have something more significant. And in the meantime, everybody's passing away. And I, for one, and my partner, we, um, we choose certainly the latter in that um, we will, you know, spend all due diligence as far as uh, bringing this to a climax and closing the chapter on the book. And that is, uh, again, commendable and amazing. And it, it is not, I mean, without note, that the news media doesn't really want to do anything other than report it. I mean, <laughs> there's, 
there, you, you can't say we truly have investigative media much anymore. Uh, no, it's a lost art. It's yeah. I mean, it, 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 it's entertainment based and ratings based, and, and and so they'll be happy to to pounce on something that you find, but but they won't. And take the there. credit for it. Yes. Absolutely. Um, I need to take just a short break, and you're listening to my guest, Mr. Donald R. Schmidt, uh, Roswell UFO author and investigator researcher. Um, but you're listening to Rexx Movie Beat. The official website address is rexsikes dot com, and I appreciate all your comments and support about the blogs and the articles and conversations. Please do feel free to email me through the website, and if you hear about anything coming up before I do, please contact me right away. I'll vet it and attempt to get it up on the website in a timely fashion. And with that in mind, I apologize for the earlier technical snafu, but uh, also, so when you share this with uh, your friends and your colleagues, please let them know that uh, there is a little snitch in the beginning and that little glitch and that... um, that the show does continue right after that. Also, I listed a number of upcoming events, uh, including Kevin Servo's Lightning Strikes on the Sci-Fi Channel, September 12th, and all those shows. Go to the website, go to RexSykes.com, go to Hot News and Hot and Fun, and there you'll find information about all of these upcoming events and more. So let's get back to uh, uh, my fascinating guest, Mr. Don Schmidt. Don, um, you know, thanks for all of that. And let's talk about something you brought up just a little while ago. Let's talk about the making of that first Roswell movie with Showtime and your involvement and how that came to be. Well, rather serendipitously in that um, there was a UFO sighting over the uh, Pasadena Valley in February of uh, 1987. And uh, it was observed by producer-director Paul Davids from his home with uh, his son and daughter one rainy afternoon and from all accounts saw a classic dome disc that came you know over the valley and then moved down and then appeared to go down behind uh, a, a series of buildings unoccupied buildings vacant buildings off in the distance. And David's managed to, uh, you know, he didn't know where to report it, who to go to, if he should contact the local police. And he simply made the comment to his friend, director, legendary Robert Wise, about the experience. And as it turned out, much to our benefit, he would suggest that, well, you know who you should talk to, you know who you should have look into this, is actor Roy Thinnes. Roy Thinnes, um, you know, very popular and become more of a, a cult figure as far as a cult TV series with the 60s uh, TV program, The Invaders. In fact, it's extremely popular over in France throughout the UK. In fact, I guess according to, uh, aside from Jerry Lewis, Roy Thinnes is about the second most popular actor throughout France due to that TV series. Well, anyway, David's uh, would be placed in contact with, uh, with Roy Thinnes, who happened to be a very close, or be a, gl- a close and dear friend of myself. I've known Roy now for over 20 years, and in fact, we were involved with ABC originally back in 1985. In fact, I have a copy of the script 
when uh, there was serious pre-production work being done on a pilot for a new series, picking up 20 years later where the original had left off. And Thinnis contacted me and asked basically, well, what would you like me to do? And he played the character David Vincent in The Invaders, and I quickly suggested, well, why don't you go play David Vincent? Why don't you go check it out? Why don't you go investigate it? And he was thrilled because it was as though he was actually returning back to the show, and here was the real thing. And he sent me transcripts of the interviews. He drew out a map, pictures. I mean, he he did it as well as most professional investigators. And uh, I complimented him for his, you know, efforts on our behalf. But it then led me to uh, speak directly with Paul Davids. And I promised him at the time, my next trip to L.A., uh, let's stop by. I'd like to see where this happened. Let's get together. Well, he invited me to his home. And it would become the impetus then of a long friendship, a long track record of uh, connection now to the Hollywood scene. And as I described what we were working on two years later, and Davids would then, you know, quickly jump on the opportunity of optioning the work and optioning the forthcoming book, uh, UFO Crash at Roswell. And from there on, we went through seven drafts of the picture. And originally we were at HBO. Now, granted, we were certainly hoping. I was making, you know, trips. I was flying from Wisconsin out to L.A. every other month and I was accompanying Paul Davids as we were going from studio to studio. We were strongly pushing, certainly, for a feature on the work. And we were receiving a lot of encouragement, and including even Robert Wise, who I mentioned early on, who I, I still credit for having much to do with the picture even being made, because if not for his... Reference to Roy Thinnis, who in turn contacted me. Who knows, it may have never happened. But needless to say, we wound up at HBO originally. And we were in pre-production. We were to the point, uh, we were still debating some of the, the script. And it was the president of HBO, Michael Fuchs, at that time. He was flying back from New York to L.A., and he makes the phone call that um, they've decided it's too controversial that they were going to drop it. And I received the phone call from Paul Davids, and he's devastated. You know, we had made it that far. We were at the point of casting the picture, and it was, a, it was over. It was off or not. And Eileen... Khan, who consulted and was an executive producer at HBO, also worked with Showtime just across the street. And knowing that, I quickly suggested to Paul, well, why don't you just take it next door? That Eileen could help with that. 
And within two days, we had an agreement with Showtime. And the rest is history. We were involved. We met with playwright Arthur Coppett, who would do our screenplay. And Elliot Goldenthal, Academy Award-winning composer and musical director, he would do our score. And Jeremy Kagan would be our director. And our cast from top to bottom, from Kyle MacLachlan to Martin Sheen to Dwight Yoakam to Xander Berkeley, Charles Martin Smith, and Peter McNichol, and um, Kim Greist, and I'm, I'm sure I'm missing others, Doug Worth and so on, was just phenomenal. And, and working with these people on the set and... I'll never forget my first arrival on the set as consultants on the picture as well. And we were shooting the exteriors in Sierra Vista, specifically Bisbee, just the southeast corner of Arizona. You're probably wondering, well, why didn't you shoot it in New Mexico? Well, we already had received, now this is in the fall of 1993, the first book had been phenomenally received we um as you described uh, we were doing everything from oprah to cbs 48 hours and sonia live and larry king and um all the national radio shows and all the news programs and so everybody was watching for our next arrival our next plan our next move regarding the investigation and so it was quickly decided, well, we better not shoot it in New Mexico because we'll have a, a problem with crowd control. So we searched out an area in Arizona which closely resembled not only the crash site but also the city of Roswell, the climate, the architecture for even 1947, and we found that in the small town of Bisbee. And when I first arrived on the set, and my co-author was forewarning me that, well, you know, the writers are always treated, you know, like fans, like um, groupies who are just, you know, there to get autographs and take pictures. And uh, I was expecting the worst. And we're walking through one of the sets. And I get a tap on my shoulder. And I turn, and there is someone who I immediately recognize because it's, it's none other than the actor who portrayed Bobby Brady in the Brady Brunch. Brady Bunch. Uh, he was, at the time, he was working as a secondary photographer and had grip. And we're talking about um, Bob Lukenland, the actual character from that TV series. Absolutely. And uh, he immediately shakes my hand and he says, Don, I can't tell you what a pleasure it is to be working on your movie and I read your book and, you know, this is going to be something special. And that is how we were treated from that moment on. I don't care if it was Dwight Yoakam or Xander Berkeley or other cast members. Uh, later when we would be shooting the interiors, uh, in North L.A., Martin Sheen, every chance we were off camera, they wanted to talk to the writers about 
the Roswell incident. So it did become something very special. It became something that from Paul Davids, the producer, even Jeremy Kagan, when we passed the script around and everybody signed the cover page, and Jeremy wrote, you know, that he was grateful that he was allowed the opportunity to recreate and bring back something that was so important in the annals of history. So I think it was that consensus, that that feel from the get-go that we were doing something important, that no matter what became of it, that it was going to be something that would stand out from everything heretofore. And when we had the premiere at the Directors Guild in Hollywood, and the president of the guild was, you know, announcing all the cast and crew, all the production people, and everybody was standing up. And, and we were sitting there, and I was sitting there with my fiancé at the time. And, you know, it was a full theater. And even a lot of our, our friends from Hollywood came in that we had specially invited. And all at once he starts talking about two people who he considered to be two of the bravest people he'd ever heard of. And by championing this cause, had brought this into the finished product of a motion picture that would provide you know, for all peoples of the world an opportunity to see that everything isn't black and white, that everything isn't status quo, that everything isn't as we are led to believe that there are cover-ups, that things aren't as they appear. And we're kind of sitting there, and we're looking around like, oh, who's he talking about? Because we had no idea, because it, was, it, it sounded like he was saving his best accolades for last. And he mentions our names. And we're asked to stand up, and it was the loudest applause of anyone there. And then it hit me. Then it, I think it hit me for the first time that this isn't just, you know, something that we're doing for ourselves. And it isn't something that we're no longer just doing even for the witnesses and many who have passed on who no longer can speak for themselves. And even for their surviving families, we're doing it for all of us. We're doing it for the people who still believe that the truth is, Everything, the truth is the only thing that we subsist on. That people who live on lies, you know, live on very shaky foundations that crumble within time. And that truth is still as solid as a rock. And again, for all the disdainers, for all the people that, again, make it their life's mission to attack and seek and destroy. Rex, I'll, I'll cite a, an example. You probably have heard of Dragon Con down in Atlanta. It's probably the second largest sci-fi convention in the world. It draws about 25,000 people a year. And I was their guest of honor one particular year, and then I was a guest for five years in a row and met and 
struck up friendships with many actors and directors and producers because, again, they were interested in what we were doing, what Roswell was all about, what, what potential. You know, it, it not only provided for the entertainment field, but certainly for all of us, for the world. And I find it interesting that I wasn't invited back this year because who was complaining for equal time <laughs> but none other than two of the most noted skeptics who are always there demanding to be on Larry King or anything else that we do. And it always comes back to we don't demand equal time. We don't feel the need because, again, if we believe we have the truth, that's all the equal time we need. We're not in the business of damage control. They are. And so I would suggest who's losing the battle in that regard. Well, also in having read your works, and from what I understand, I mean, you're quite skeptical yourself. I mean, and by that I mean you're not gullible as to what what happened, uh, you know, 60 years ago. You're, you've been trying to research and and uh, find out or verify what may have happened. Wherever the evidence uh, takes us, correct. But you're not. But but I've never I've never gotten the impression that you're doing this as a true believer, but as somebody who well what, what you just said right there wherever the evidence leads us and and uh, and I think that comes out in your works. Um, and so, you know, I appreciate that. And there will always be, you know, resistance. So um, they get their equal time, but... Uh, well, useful idiots, as I call them, because it's, <laughs> they're doing uh, the alien work for the government in that regard because uh, they're just, they just wind them up and let them go, and they do their dirty work for them. Okay, now, Dan, yeah, absolutely. Now, we've got about, oh... Eleven minutes left. I got a couple of questions, uh, but I, I, I want to ask. Um, but first off, now you've consulted on on, on documentaries. So you've, you've produced a few. Um, any insights or tips or suggestions? I mean, and you're dealing with this is when I say documentary. Well, this is a nonfiction area. So I mean, you're dealing with uh, you know material and witnesses. Any tips or suggestions for filmmakers or or people who are interested in in the documentary world? Well. There's been absolutely no end as far as the documentary work that has been afforded us. We've just been contacted again by Sci-Fi Channel to do another two-hour special. We're awaiting word as far as a production, as far as with A&E. We're awaiting word from a production company out of London. Uh, so it's, I mean, we've been, we've even done documentaries in many other countries: Israel, France, Spain. Germany, Mexico, and it's the common theme that you know, you know, you know, certainly passes through each and every one of these uh, productions is the passion, and I, I hear it over and over again. Whenever I do an interview, whenever I consult on a project, uh, even the last time working with the producer at Larry King, it was my third appearance. And she said, she commented, she said, what Larry really likes about you is your passion. When I've done Shirley MacLaine's radio show, and, and, and Shirley was kind enough to even come to our premiere of our Roswell movie. So we've stayed in contact ever since. And she, too, brings up your passion, your enthusiasm, your emotion. 
that it's it's clearly something that's coming from the heart and and I think that's one of the things that one can go through the motions and i've I've worked with people who just strictly do documentary narration, and what sets them apart from the others is that they sound like they believe what they're talking about. They're not just reciting, you know, script. And I think the same would apply as far as whether doing a movie or certainly doing a, a documentary. When you sound not only as though you know what you're talking about, but you've done your homework, you've done your research. And it was one of the things that Dr. Heineck always emphasized to us. When you do your own research, no one can take that away from you. They can research the subject to the contrary if they choose. But your research is your research. Your work is your work. And it becomes your baby. And the same thing when you write a script. The same thing when you develop an original idea. It's yours. And treat it like your baby. Um, so often, you know, things are robbed or taken without credit, without attribution and then all the more reason that you fight for it and i think for the same reason that when you get such a project when you take such a project or an idea to a studio to a production company with the hope that you'll whet their appetite you'll you provide a tease you'll give them something that they can take and run see it through don't let it out of your hands shop it around don't just accept the first offer. Realize that if one likes it, there will be others. And then, you know, just like a good parent, you know, from birth on, you know, follow, see it through and retain that passion that enables you to, whether you succeed or, or fail, you gave it your best shot. You gave it everything you got. And there will be others. Very cool. I appreciate that. Uh, before we run out of time, I want to say that Don's website is uh, roswellinvestigator.com. That's R-O-S-W-E-L-L-I-N-V-E-S-T-I-G-A-T-O-R.com, just like it sounds, Roswell Investigator. And go and check that out and check out the many books that Don has as well. And certainly you've probably seen many of the documentaries and uh, of the, the Roswell movie and other things that Don has been involved with. Don, uh, Roswell also won uh, the Best TV Movie. Uh, we were nominated. Book. We were nominated, Best Picture, uh-huh. right. And it was my one regret that, uh, true to our form, we were obviously invited to the Golden Globes ceremony, and we were in the field working. And uh, I, will for always re- I will forever regret that we did not attend because it was that once-in-a-lifetime experience. But... Again, I can proudly say that it, it, it clearly demonstrates that the investigation is still our passion. It's still the one thing, and that whatever springs off from you know, that objective, then it's just frosting on our cake. All right. Well, now we've got literally about five minutes left, and I want to uh, um, uh, give some time to uh, what new interest Hollywood has displayed with uh, your writings and your research as of lately? Well, since the, uh, with the success, and it was the only time that Showtime has ever had a Golden Globe 
nominated Best Picture. And it was clearly our impression that we would have an open door at Showtime. And what I found interesting is that just as the video release of the picture became the number one requested movie on military bases around the world, and we had a private screening of the movie scheduled for the White House, which was abruptly canceled a week before. And there was always this sinister cloud that, that, that hung over the picture. And then as evidence as far as even the post response to Showtime, they didn't know who we were after the picture had been completed. They basically had, they wanted, they desired nothing more to do with us. It was as though they were warned. And it was one of the reasons we were meeting with uh, independent producers with Showtime on the side. And year after year, we were having meetings and we were talking about the sequel. As the investigation you know, progressed, we realized that this was not the end of the story that we were developing many more pieces of the puzzle that took it you know, way beyond, well beyond, where the movie had left off. And I would meet with other producers and other writers, and through the years it finally started to provide a response with the sense that we need to do this. We need to finally get on this. We need to finally, you know, put this on the big screen and take it to a global audience and let the people decide for themselves. And within the last year, we have been working with a number of, in fact, the one is the former president of the Directors Guild, and another is a producer who was with a very long-standing, probably one of the most highly popular TV series in, uh, in all of history. And we have been developing a script, and we have been... They have already made an option proposal. We have a contract agreed to as far as the actual production of the movie. And if everything goes according to plan, there will be another Roswell movie. And we're talking feature because we will accept nothing less. Um, it will be based on the 1947 Roswell incident but it will have much more of a contemporary slant in that uh, two of the central characters, and I would be one of them, portrayed by, by an actor. So it will be more about the investigation, more about how we started and how we arrived at where we are today. And I'm excited in the sense that it will also demonstrate that there's been a high degree of humor, lightheartedness. Aside from a lot of the tragedy and the loss of loved ones regarding witnesses who became like family to me, there will be some very poignant 
very serious parts in the picture. And I'm happy that we're involved as far as the development of the script. And uh, again, I I remain, you know, truly passionate about the investigation. And the movie, again, just would be additional frosting on the cake. Now, as I understand it, have has the the screenplay. Uh, have you you've assigned a writer to, to? There's a writer been assigned to write the screenplay at this point. I mean, they're working on that currently. The um, the writer is presently developing the script, and um, I'm in regular consultation with him as well as another one of the investigators involved, and. We have gone through over 10 hours of interview, which uh, will all lend itself to the script. And they um, are optioning the uh, the current revisement of the book and the, uh, the original book itself, Witness to Roswell. So much of the movie would also be based on uh, the current publications. That is fantastic. Now let me just say that... that uh I, I uh, and I again I wouldn't normally do this, but I just say that I, I'd love to have you back when when we can name names. I, I happen to know who some of the players are that are involved in this, and um, as the project progresses, or or when you're making the project, or any time for that matter, you know, I'd love to have you back as a guest. But uh, agreed, and I think you understand as well as anyone, Rex, that uh, at this point, and as I mentioned it the other day right. in speaking with the producer, he said, "Let's not jinx it." Right, right, exactly, and so because they want to make the, they want to make the grand announcement, they want to have the press conference in Hollywood, right. and that type of thing. So, so when that when that becomes available, you can let us know it here at Movie Beat, and uh, absolutely we'll be happy to further the word. But in the meantime, I want to thank you so much for coming on and and sharing your knowledge and your expertise about Roswell, something that's been near and dear to your heart for twenty some years, and and for your experiences in Hollywood and, and what that's been like. Um, you know, I know that uh, that. Uh, you know, you and and I mean this in the best possible way. You could go on and on and on and on because you are a walking, you know, encyclopedia when it comes to the Roswell ex- event and uh, uh, experiences and and the connection that you've had with Hollywood. And so I certainly appreciate you spending uh, some of the time uh, that is very you know valuable to you with our listeners and with me this morning. So thanks so much, Don, for being. Well, that's been very kind, and it's been a pleasure again, Rex. So yeah, we'll, we will do it again. All right, fantastic. And again, that website is roswellinvestigator.com. And thank you so much, Don. Well, there you have it. Uh, We have concluded another, I think, fascinating uh, show here on Movie Beat. And I want to thank you listeners and you readers of Movie Beat for being here and for sharing uh, these conversations with filmmakers, with your friends and your colleagues. I'd like you to stay tuned. And please keep sharing the website with these inter- with all your friends and your contacts. But remember, you can become a member of Rex Sykes Movie Beat on Facebook by clicking on the group link at my profile page on Facebook. And uh, keep in mind all the events that we mentioned earlier in the show. Uh, go to the website, look at Hot and New and Hot News. Go to the interviews page where you'll find all sorts of other interviews that are archived for your listening pleasure. As I've stated, Movie Beat is to be a resource for you about learning what you can do and what you can't do when making movies, or what to do right and what's not so good. So uh, make your projects. Have a fabulous day, 
And um, until we meet the next time, that is a wrap.